start something new and something I'm very excited about. We start a study through the book of John today. And uh, so if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open it to the book of John. If you don't have a Bible, we have a few stacked up over here, a few stacked up over there. Uh, John chapter 1 is where we'll be today. And we will begin looking at the prologue of John. And all the prologue is really, uh, the prologue is basically the introduction and summary to this book. A prologue kind of is, is something that goes beforehand. Um, and so John lays out for us everything that we're about to see. And if you look on your notes in, in, your, in your bulletin, you will notice um, a little diagram at the bottom that looks kind of goofy. It looks like a, a cult symbol or something. It's, it's not, I promise. Uh, it, uh, I'm going to explain to you what that is. Um, uh, here in just a moment, all right? But uh, as, we, as we get to that, I want to show you something here. Uh, Caleb's going to put on the screen a little piece of papyrus, and this is the front and back of it. And of course, you know that uh, uh, for our, our, uh, our scriptures that we don't retain any actual originals um, that were written, but we do have copies of the originals, and we have many of them. Right here is the oldest, the oldest piece of the New Testament in existence, at least that we know of, that has been found. Uh, and guess what book of the Bible it's from? It's from the book of John. This little thing is known as P52, and it dates to around the year 125 to 150, which is very close to the writing of the New Testament, isn't it? Um, what you see here front and back, that's John 18, 31 through 33 and John 18, 37 and 38. So that's, uh, that's a good little piece of history there for you. Now, there are four Gospels, and, and uh, I've, I've mentioned this before, but when I was young, um, I, I went to a United Methodist church. A lot of you know that. And uh, it was never explained to me. Uh, at least in a way that I understood, that there are four gospel accounts for a reason. And there are four gospel accounts. It doesn't mean that Jesus lived and died four times in a row, which, believe it or not, that, I, I thought that for a time. Um, yeah, when I was young. Um, not recently. I didn't think that recently. Uh, I thought that when I was young. But here's what we have in the four gospel accounts. We have four people giving an account basically, of the ministry of Jesus, which, which really is about a three-year span of time. So if you have been with Fellowship Renewed Church from about the beginning, about the time we've moved into this building, we've been here about three and a half years. So that is the length of time that Jesus had his ministry. And when he was done, he was gone, and it was left up to those behind to pick up where he left off. So imagine that... We only had that amount of time with Jesus. And now he's gone, and he said, okay, now it's in your hands. And so what, what happened was they uh, wrote an account inspired by the Holy Spirit, obviously, uh, to write down what Jesus did, what he said, who he was. We have three synoptic gospels, that is uh, meaning kind of the same, and that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it's longest to shortest. Okay, and then you have John, tagged on to the end. John is unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke in that it doesn't follow the same narrative plot line uh, that the <coughs> others do. The others, 
if you use what's called a harmony of the scriptures or harmony of the gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke will line up in so many different areas, even though some has more, some has less. Um, John, you're going to really struggle. It's going to kind of fill in gaps. And so what we have in the four gospels is what has been delivered to us and revealed to us. We needed four gospel accounts. One wasn't sufficient. If it was, we would only have one. But what the Lord had decided is that in understanding the gospel account historically, we needed four gospels, four different perspectives, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. What we start today is the book of John. The book of John is known to be the simplest written in Greek as it was. You can see it there. Um, it was the simplest form of Greek um, uh, of, of any of the other writers. And he, uh, uh, went, well, when it was translated into English, it remains kind of the simplest structure, the simplest words for us to follow. But in that is actually the richest content, I believe. We have so much rich theology in John, but it's spelled out for us in very plain English. And, and this is one of the reasons I'm really excited about John is because it's going to be so practical to us. Um, date of writing, um, there's really two, two different concepts. If you look in your Bible, you'll notice that above, for most of you, it'll have a little snippet about the book of John probably, and it'll say it was written probably around the year 8095 or so. Um, that's the late date uh, concept. John also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in your Bible. And then he also wrote the book of Revelation. This is the same John. Um, John was, was written um, somewhere between 80 and 90. First, second, third John between 85, 95 and Revelation around the year 95. Those are all the late dates. If you prefer the early dates, you just basically subtract about 25 years and you'll have the early date of writing. So um, at least you know where we're at in the timeline of history when this was written. Late first century. Okay? Late first century. The author was John. He was an uneducated fisherman. He was an uneducated fisherman. Acts 4.13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they recognized and they, they were astonished that they had been with Jesus. Mark 1.19 and 20 talks about uh, the calling of James and John. They were brothers. Uh, they were on a boat with their father, Zebedee, and Jesus said, come follow me. And they left the Father, and they went along with Jesus. We also know uh, not only John's um, father, but also his mother, Mark 15, 40. She was along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene. And so she was very active um, at that time as well. What is the main point of the book of John? Um, he actually tells us. Not too many books in our Bible actually tell us the reason they wrote what they wrote. Uh, but John does. I, I have that up on the screen for you. Here's what it says. The main point is this. Uh, that's John 20, verses 30 and 31. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that is, these things that I am telling you about, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the reason that John wrote this book. It is not a complete biography of the life of Jesus. If it was, it would be terrible because it leaves out so much. But what we have, the reason it was written is so that we might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we might have life in his name. 
So I would say, basically, he wants us to know who Jesus is and why it matters. John wants us to know who Jesus is and why it matters. Now I'll take you to that little diagram you have at the bottom of your page. The prologue of John is in a really interesting format. And uh, there is a parallel all leading to a climax. And so if you look at this, it says uh, John 1, 1 through 2, and then down at the bottom it says 118. You notice those are connected by a line. It's because those two, those two passages parallel each other. And then in chapter 1, verse 3, parallels 117. 4 through 5 parallels verse 16. 6 through 8 parallels verse 15. 9 and 10 parallels verse 14. And they all reach one particular point, which is chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. Okay, I want you to see that he builds his case up to a certain point, and then he reiterates what he just said. And so this is what we're going to look at together, is the prologue. And of course, we're going to focus on what is the point, uh, which is verses 11 through 13. All these other things leading up to 11 through 13 are simply pointing us towards what's important. Remember, the reason he wrote it was so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name, we might have life, right? That's his whole point. And so he lays out everything that we need to know in the first 18 verses, and then he, he spends the rest of the book detailing out exactly how he knows this, what he saw, and how it plays out. This is what happens in this book. Now, John, we might not think was a very good storyteller because what he does is he lays out the entire plot line right up front. He doesn't leave anything to suspense, but he says, everything that you need to know is all right here, and now I'm going to spend the rest of the book detailing it out and telling you about it. So the prologue of John is basically a summary and a main point of what he's about to lay out for us in the book of John. Okay, so you see in your notes, um, there are no blanks to fill in um, because I wanted to be kind of like John and just lay it all out there up front. So uh, we will be covering this for the next couple of weeks. We won't be covering everything on your page here today, but we'll be covering this over the next couple of weeks together, okay? So let's look at John chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to read verses 17 through 18 because those parallel each other, and this is how we will work through the text, okay? So John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, that was through verse 3. Let's look at verses 17 and 18. It says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Okay, so let's look at these a little bit together. Now remember, the whole point was that we might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that we might have life in his name if we would simply believe that. Now, if the name was so important, don't you think that John would reference the name of Jesus? But in this entire 18 verses, the name of Jesus is only referenced one time. It's in verse 17. He never even says the name Jesus. So don't you think it would be simpler if he had said, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and His name is Jesus. 
Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. But can't you see that he's trying to appeal to us from the very, very beginning? Where else do we find in the beginning? Well, we find that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, don't we? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form, and it was void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the, over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now, John wants to take us back to the very beginning of what we know. It is the very beginning of everything. John wants us to go back, and he says, now, in the beginning, what was there? Well, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was without form and void. So he created the matter, but it hadn't been brought together into its form yet, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So what do we know about the beginning? We know that in the beginning, there was the word, that is, the word spoken by God. How did God bring things into existence? He spoke. What do you speak? Words. So in the beginning was God, and there was the words of God. So in the beginning, God spoke. And what John is trying to say to us, when God spoke, there was Jesus. You see that Jesus is the word of God. When he said that was Jesus, because Jesus is the very word of God. Now, this is going to be developed a little bit more, but we need to see that Jesus is the very word of God. And it says, and in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. By the way, the word universe, we know what that word means, right? We talked about that before. The universe, single spoken sentence. That's what the universe is. It is something spoken by God that came about into existence. He was there. His word was there. What also was there? Spirit of God was there. We see the Trinity in the creation account. And the word was with God. So it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Now, if all there was was God, and God was a singularity, God was one, one person, then how could he be with himself? I am on the stage and I am with myself. That doesn't really make much sense, does it? But now, if there were three parts to me, then I could be with myself, just as there is with God. How could you be with God if he is only one, but what he's pointing out is that God is three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you see them all right in the beginning, right in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. There was God planning and speaking, and the very words that were spoken were Jesus Christ himself. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so to make sure that we understand that, the Word was with God, and by the way, that means if you were with someone, what, what this phrase means is that you are turned face-to-face in intimate relationship. It's not as though you are just standing there, you're not recognizing that anybody else is there with you, but it's just saying there is a close relationship, a connection between the people that are together. And the word was God. Tell me if you've ever heard this before. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. The one was in the beginning with God. You ever heard that before? No, that is the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures, also known as the Jehovah's Witness Bible. Yeah, 
why is that and why can we stand on the truth of knowing that? Well, John helps us to understand. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, yes, in fellowship in the Trinity, eternally. And the Word was God. He was not a God, but He was God. Now, I want to bring a connection here. We've been studying also through the book of Isaiah, and we will continue to do so. But I want to draw a parallel here, a connection between the prophecy of the Messiah to come and who he was to be. Now, we've already gone over this, and so I hope it brings to mind for you what he said. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Messiah was to be Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus always has been, always will be, in perfect harmony with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. Eternally existing in the Godhead is our God. Jesus was not created. We'll get to that here in just a moment. When God spoke, this was Jesus, and this is God's greatest, God's ultimate self-disclosure to his creation. You know someone personally, and they speak to you, they tell you about their life. There's kind of a connection made there, right? But if you only know someone through someone else, I don't, you don't really know them very well, do you? Or even if you read a biography of someone, you know, if you like reading biographies or, or even an autobiography, sometimes when we tell it in written or, or a story format kind of, you know, or, or when we, uh, we try to just portray what was, um, there's not such an intimate connection than if someone were to actually speak to you face to face, right? Well, God, in sending his word to the world that he created by his word, is God speaking to us in a personal way. God sent his word to you and to me to save you. God spoke and created this universe. He created you. And then to show his personal love for you, he sent his very word to the earth. Colossians 1.15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And again, that's a statement that seems very confusing. He is the image of the invisible God, where if there's an image of something invisible, then it must not be invisible, right? But Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He has made him known. Isn't that what it says? He has made him known. That's down in verse 17, or uh, uh, yeah, down in verse uh, 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus is the one who makes God known. Jesus is the revelation, the self-disclosure of God himself. He says in John 8, 18 and 19, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also, because I am the self-disclosure of God himself. You know me, you know the Father, because I and the Father are one. You know me, you know the Father. God's word, that's me. 
I am the Father speaking to you. I am the very word of God. I want to also draw a connection to Hebrews chapter 1 because before we started the book of Isaiah, we were in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Now listen to this in connection with what we understand now of Jesus as the word of God. Long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to her fathers by the prophets. But listen to this. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Not he has spoken to us with the words that the son said, but he has spoken to us in the sending of his word. That's how God spoke to us, in the sending of Jesus Christ. He is the word of God and he sent his word to the earth. God spoke to us through his word, through his son. It is God's greatest act of self-disclosure. His greatest act. Jesus is not only the word of God, but Jesus is also the creator of all things. I want to look at verse 3. It says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, let's look down at verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, at outset, that might not seem like very parallel, but I'll, I'll, I'll explain to you uh, the parallel here. Now, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible. Whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We have to ask the question, well, then what about God himself? What about God himself? Where did God come from? Who created God? And why do we ask that question? Because in our minds, everything that exists has a cause behind it. Why do you exist? You were brought about by your parents and, of course, by God. Why does this chair exist? Well, because someone manufactured it. Well, how did the manufacturing materials get there? Well, they found them over here. You see, everything can go back. Everything can go backwards. Okay, well, where did that come from? Okay, well, I understand that, but where did that come from? And you can keep going forever and ever and ever and ever and ever until you get to one, spot, one point and you have to stop. God is the uncaused cause. He exists without a cause bringing him into existence. Now, for some who are atheist or humanist or naturalist, if you look at evolution, evolution has a problem in that if you take things back to the very beginning, what you come down to as the very beginning is when all matter that is in the universe was all brought down to a single point of centrality or a singularity about this big. And all the matter in the universe was condensed. That's a pretty heavy little ball, isn't it? All the matter in the universe was condensed. And then one day, that ball exploded. And the universe is continually expanding because of that explosion. Okay? 
That's what is said. Now, we have to ask the question, okay then, where did all that matter come from? Because another law is that matter cannot, cannot create matter, right? Matter cannot create matter. So where did the matter come from? That's unanswered. But we know. We know the great cause behind all things. There is one who is uncaused, who caused all things. And that is God in his Godhead, in his fullness, that is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the beginning was God, and he was with God, the Trinity, and he was God. Why are we focusing on the Word? Because the Word is what brought things into existence because God spoke them into existence. It is the Word that brought about all things. And it says in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, All things were created by him in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether you can see something or not, don't you know? Jesus is the one that brought that about because he is the Word of God. But I thought God created all things. He did. Jesus is the agent of creation. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In his word, in the word of God, all things hold together. By the way, it also says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All things that were made were made through Jesus Christ. Okay, if Jesus was created, if Jesus was made, he would have to have made himself. Because there is not anything that was made that wasn't made through Jesus. So therefore, if Jesus was made, he made himself, which can't be. Therefore, Jesus is not a created being. He's eternally self-existent with the Father and the Holy Spirit. You see how it's such plain words? But man, those words run deep, don't they? So plain but so incredibly deep to our understanding of who God is. And isn't that the point? He wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so if we believe that, if we understand it, if we see that Jesus really is who he said he was, then we have faith in that name, and by faith in his name, we might have life. So he starts at the very beginning. And it says, in verse 17, now, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, I kind of need to debunk a concept here. When we read through the Old Testament, it seems as though, to some, the God of the Old Testament is a very mean guy, whereas the God of the New Testament is really nice and loving, right? God of the Old Testament says, war kill, destroy, wrath. God in the New Testament, grace and love and mercy. <coughs> Don't you know that God never changes? Therefore, if that is your view of God, you are wrong. God does not change. He is always the same. Now, it says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So does that mean that there was no grace and truth before Jesus came? Absolutely not. Don't you realize that there was already grace and truth? It's just that Jesus Christ is the ultimate disclosure of fullness of grace and fullness of truth. Jesus Christ is the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. 
For example, Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening to the eyes. Now, if we think that the law of God is the thing that was broken, then we've got a big problem because that means that God brought something into existence, the law, but it wasn't quite good enough, so God had to try again. That might be a simple way that we might try to convince ourselves that that's what God did. So, okay, if we go back to the the beginning, God spoke all things into existence. There was Adam and Eve and that whole situation, and then there was... Um, then there was uh, the Tower of Babel and the flood and all that kind of stuff. Okay, eventually we get to this guy, and uh, his name is Israel, and he has 12 sons and then 12 tribes of Israel, and then um, God says, you are my people and I am your God. Here's some laws to obey. Uh, you'll never be able to keep them perfectly, but you better try because if you don't, you're going to be put to death. That God, like that situation. And then, okay, so all of that happened, and they were always rebellious. They were always rebellious, for the most part, against God. They never really did what was right in his sight. They kind of tried sometimes. But then, eventually, the Messiah was sent. Okay, so we might think wrongly. God tried one way through the law. He gave a law, and it says it was good and right. But it didn't work out, so... Uh, okay, I got a better plan. Let's send this guy. I'm going to send part of myself this time because people just mess it up. So I'm going to send part of myself to earth and he will make things right. Okay, so there was the law. Uh, maybe I was too harsh with you. Okay, I gave some rules. Those rules were really hard to obey. Okay, be obedient to your parents. Uh, honor your parents. I know that's a hard one. Um, and I know you couldn't do it. So, okay, so to scratch that, okay, I'm going to send Jesus instead. Wrong. Wrong completely. God has always been full of grace and truth. Certainly in the deliverance of the law to the people. Did the people deserve to know what their God thought was right and wrong? Did they deserve the grace of of having the law of God? They didn't deserve that. And was the law of God true? So was there grace and truth in the giving of the law to the people? Absolutely, because our God is full of grace and truth. But then why does it say that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus? Didn't they already have grace and truth through the law? Well, certainly. By the way, wasn't the law of God written with the very finger of God? Literally, God wrote it, right? He wrote it on the tablet of stone and gave it to Moses. That's how it happened. It's unbelievable. So did, was, did, did God make an error? Did the law come through Moses? No. Ultimately, the law came from, from God. It's just Moses delivered it to the people, right? God has never been wrong. God has never messed up. And he has always been full of grace and truth. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him. And then he said, and, and, and the Lord, the Lord, uh, he, he passed before him and he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's Exodus 34. Exodus 34, way before Jesus. A God, merciful and gracious. He has always been merciful and gracious. Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your word is 
truth. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. God didn't just start being gracious when he sent Jesus. He didn't say, this time I'm going to be gracious, and this time I'm going to tell the truth, okay? Last time I didn't do that, but this time I'm 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 going to do it. This is God. Jesus Christ, the Word of God, is the ultimate act of grace. It is not his only act of grace. Jesus Christ is his ultimate disclosure of truth. It is not his only disclosure of truth. You understand? The creation and implementation of the law was on purpose. It wasn't a mistake. I want to take you to a few passages here this morning. And I'd like for you, if you can, to turn there with me. It's really only two different places you'll have to turn in your Bible. Galatians chapter 3, and then we're going to look at Romans chapter 3. Again, what I want to talk about is the creation and implementation of the law was on purpose. It is perfect. It did accomplish and will accomplish and is accomplishing everything that God had ever intended. It is not broken. The law isn't what's broken. We know well what's broken. We are the ones that are broken. Okay, so why then the creation of the law? All things that were made were made through the word of God. And certainly the law came through the word of God. So was it broken? No. The law was implemented on purpose. Why? What was the purpose? Galatians 3, let's look first at Galatians 3, 23 and 24. It says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned, until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. So it says a few things here that are troubling. It says, Before faith came, that is, before Jesus Christ came, and, and we could now have faith in Christ for salvation, before that, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned. Imprisoned under the law. Why imprisoned? Because this was the only way, in one sense, to be righteous before God, but the imprisoned part comes in that I can't ever please God. I can't please God perfectly. Do not steal. You've probably probably stolen something. Everybody, you've probably stolen something before. Okay? Not even necessarily from a story, maybe, maybe, from a, maybe even from a relative, brother, sister, mom, or dad. You've, you've stolen something probably. Uh, I, I remember the time when I was young and I thought, oh, I just stole something. But you know what? It feels good. Um, I don't know how old I was, but I was really into Ninja Turtles. Okay? So I was probably 18, 19. No. I, I, I don't know how old I was. I was probably, I don't know, uh, eight, nine years old maybe. Something like that. I, uh, that's just made up. I don't know how old I was. Um, I but I was really into Ninja Turtles, and the Ninja Turtle that I really liked was Raphael. And he had the size, of course. If you know anything about Ninja Turtles, uh, he had the size, okay? I had Ninja Turtles at home, but I didn't have the size. I lost them. I went over to my cousin's house, and wouldn't you know it, he had some. And I went home with them in my pocket. Sure did. Stole them. And I loved it. Loved every second of it. No, I, well, I have now, but no, I didn't then. I had no reason to. You know what I thought? I want it. I'm going to take it. 
there you go. Even from our youth, we are bent to do what is wrong and against the law of God. And it is only by the revelation of the law that we know that we are so bad. If God had never told us what is good, then we would never know how bad we truly are. We would never recognize how much we need Jesus Christ. And that's what we'll read in Romans chapter 3, if you want to look there with me. Romans chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 19. It says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. What is the purpose of the law? Well, not only that we might be obedient to the law and do what is pleasing and good to God, but before we get to that point, we first have to recognize that I have never been obedient to the word. Through the knowledge of the word of God, through the knowledge of the commands of God, through the knowledge of what is right, we come to understand that we are wrong. We are broken. We are sinners. You know, a simple definition of sin is just disobedience to God. That's what I tell Jane and Lena when I try to teach them these things. Sin is just disobedience to God. And when you're disobedient to your parents, you get a taste of what it is to be disobedient to God because from your parents you also receive wrath. Wasn't that a great design of God's that he's showing us from an early age? Listen, be obedient, but you have a hard time, don't you? And it's been said, and it's true, you never have to teach a child to lie. You never have to teach a child to be mean. You never have to teach a child to be selfish. But you have to teach them to be good, to speak the truth, to be obedient, to be kind. They'll figure out the bad stuff on their own. If you don't know that yet, you will know it soon if you have children. You don't have to teach them that stuff. So we were from the day we were born disobedient, slaves to lawlessness. But he sent the word, he sent commands of God so that we might know that we are sinners. Jump down if you're in Romans 3. Jump down to verse 28. All that's good, but we're going to jump down to 28. Of course, it's good. I mean, it's Scripture. It's the Word of God. 3, 28 through 31. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, also of the Gentiles. God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Okay, so what is all that saying? Saying even though the point of the law was to point us towards our sinfulness, do we then throw away the law and not uphold it because I'm justified by faith? Like the law came through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, so throw out the law of God and just cling on to grace and truth. They're just grace and truth all day. No, on the contrary, we uphold the law because now we, for the first time, are actually able to uphold the law by the Spirit of God working inside of us. No one 
who is unregenerate of heart by faith in Christ and the Spirit of God can uphold the law of God. No one can uphold the law of God unless they are born again by the Spirit of God. They are regenerated by faith in Jesus Christ. It is only then that we can now, for the first time, by the help of the Spirit, obey the law of God. But even in our obedience to the law, that is not what saves us. For by the works of the law, no one will be justified in his sight. But we become justified in his sight, that is not seen as sinners any longer, but seen as good and righteous, through faith in Jesus Christ. But now that we have faith in Christ, we become obedient from the heart to do what he calls us to do. This is why we are going over on Wednesday nights the Ten Commandments, which, man, that has been so good. I have thoroughly enjoyed that. It's not to say how can we earn God's favor, but it's to say Jesus has earned God's favor for me, and I have faith in him now. How can I, by love, be obedient to my Father? What has he said? His word isn't broken. His commands aren't broken. They're not wrong. So how can I understand them better to please my Father? He's not going to love me more, but I want to show my love to him more. And by the Spirit inside of me, I can be obedient to him. I want to try. What has been said in this first little section here, that Jesus is the Word of God and the Creator of all. Jesus has always been. Jesus will always be. God has existed eternally in the Godhead, that is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, from before the beginning. Before the beginning. Because He brought all things into existence. Anything that has been made has been made by Him, by the Word of God. Why is it important for us to know this? John thinks it's important because if we don't know who he is and what he has done, how could we possibly have faith in him and have life? You need to know who Jesus is and then place your trust in him, place your faith in him. And by placing your faith in the God revealed to us, not an imaginary God, not some Jesus that we've made up, but the God of the Bible, the God who was before the beginning, we have faith in Him and His Word. God spoke to us by sending His Son to us. What more personal act could you get than that? God showed His love for us in that while we were still sinners, He sent Jesus. While we were yet enemies, Christ came to die for the